0: This morning, we're going to finish up a three-week series we've been in, entitled The City. And uh, basically, by way of recap, the first week, we looked at the unique cultural context that is Bend, Oregon. And uh, what what it means to live in a place where life is better than vacation and uh, what it means to follow Jesus in in an environment that's largely dominated by a worldview of individualism, where we are here primarily for what Bend can do for us as opposed to what we can do for Bend. And so we took a look at Jesus' invitation for us to follow him in living as servants of all and saying if we took that seriously, that we are here to be servants of all, that that would change the way we as a community live in Bend. That would change the way we see our neighbors and our coworkers and our friends and family members around us. If we are here truly to serve, to do whatever needs to be done, to seek the common good, to pray for the peace and prosperity of our city, that would look like a really different way of living in Bend. And so last week, then, we kind of fleshed that out a little bit with a few kind of uh, practical ideas on what that might look like and how we might take a first few steps into forming relationships with neighbors and coworkers, how we might be able to begin changing the way that we see this city, and, uh, and starting with the fact that Bend is a city. We, t- we typically think of Bend as a way of life but it actually is a city. I don't know if this is true. Somebody told me this week that uh, all the city council members ran unopposed this year, right? Which uh, maybe that's true. If so, that's really interesting, right? Because nobody thinks of this as a city. It's a place where you go to live a certain way. But God God loves cities and is calling us to love this city and to live as his followers and his servants in it. This morning, we're gonna close up by specifically focusing in on the question of how would we as a community of Christ followers live in Bend as it relates to the poor among us, to those who are hurting, to those who are in need, to those who are lonely, abandoned, abused, addicted, what Jesus might call the least of these. As Ben led us in the prayer, the forgotten 5%. That we typically don't think of Bend As being a place that has a lot of poverty A lot of brokenness A lot of, a lot of need And the reality is that it is And so we're going to talk about that this morning So a very familiar passage uh, In Luke chapter 10 Starting in verse 25 On one occasion An expert in the law stood up to test Jesus Teacher, he asked And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I'll reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell in the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, Go and do likewise. So a very familiar story to most of us, even if you haven't grown up in the church, or if Christianity is kind of a new thing to you, you're probably at least familiar with the concept of the Good Samaritan. And this morning there's a lot we could unpack out of this this story Jesus tells, but I just I want to kind of focus our attention. On what we might learn from Jesus this morning As it relates to being a neighbor To the people uh, in Bend Who would be categorized maybe as the least of these To the hurting, the suffering, the broken, and the poor And so, this guy, in verse 25 He stands up to test Jesus And he has a suspicion that Jesus doesn't take God's law very seriously because Jesus is always hanging out with people he's not supposed to. And so this guy asks what he needs to do to inherit eternal life, which is a strange question to ask in the first place because what do you do to get an inheritance? You don't do anything. You just get it, right? It's just something that you receive, but this guy wants to know what he needs to do. And so Jesus asks him, for a summary of the law, and this guy says to love God with everything you've got and love your neighbor as yourself. Okay, so he's obviously pulling from the story of God and his people. He's pulling from the law of God given uh, many centuries before. And, uh, and he's right, isn't he? Jesus says, yeah, that's right. So what would that mean? To love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength And to love your neighbor as yourself Well, let's just look at one part of it To love God with all of your mind It would mean that if you Were sitting in a room by yourself And there's nothing you had to be thinking about Where would your mind go? There's nothing else No books, no TV, no phone Where does your mind go? when there's nothing else you need to be thinking about? Do you think about how you're going to make more money or what you would do if you did? Do you think about how to become more attractive or what you would do if you did? In those moments when you don't have to think about anything else, to love God with your whole mind would be to have your thoughts dwell upon God on the character, the nature the person of God that any chance I get to think about God to ponder him to meditate upon who he is and what he's done and what he's like that my mind would naturally out of love gravitate towards thoughts of God how much I love him how much I want to know him and to be with him and to be like him so to love God with all your mind would look something like that, okay? So to love your neighbor in the way you love yourself is simply the idea that I am going to see and meet the needs of the people around me with the same natural urgency in which I meet my own needs. I love my neighbor as I love myself. So to say I love myself doesn't mean I think I'm awesome and I love everything about myself, It means that I take the initiative in meeting my own needs. If I'm thirsty, I go get a glass of water. If I'm hungry, I get something to eat. If I'm cold, I go get a coat. If I'm tired, I take a break or get some rest. I recognize those needs in my own life, and then I meet them. That's how I love myself. So what would it look like to love my neighbor as I love myself? It's to recognize their needs and meet them with the same natural urgency in which I meet my own. If I see a person who needs a drink, who needs a meal, who needs a coat, who needs some rest, then I do whatever I can to meet those needs. And so that's the picture that uh, both Jesus and the teacher in the law at this point would both have to love God and to love others as I love myself. Okay? So then Jesus says in verse 28 You have answered correctly do this and you will live what's jesus doing here he's messing with him isn't he because what i've just described and it's just a small part of loving god and love others loving others is going to be incredibly difficult for any of us to say yeah that's how i live that's what i do you may even say impossible this is a very, very high standard that's been set. I love God with everything I've got and I love everybody the same way I love myself. So Jesus says, yeah, go ahead and do that and you'll be fine, <laughs> right? He's totally messing with him and the evidence is that the guy, we're told that he wants to justify himself, right? He feels convicted, he feels confronted that Jesus says, yeah, just go ahead and do that and everything will work out. He goes, no, that can't be right. And so he asks the question, so who is my neighbor? And Jesus tells this famous story that communicates the absolute core of what it means to love our neighbor. And so this story in verses 30 through 37 not only answers who our neighbor is, but also when we should love our neighbor and how much we should love our neighbor. So let's look at those three questions real quick. First, who is my neighbor? It's natural to want to show love to the people To people who you like Or people who are like you But Jesus says yeah that's not enough This story illustrates That it's not enough just to love those we like Or or who are like us But he teaches us this And I'll just say it in brief and move on That your neighbor is anyone Who has a need You can meet Your neighbor is anyone who has a need you can meet and it could be absolutely anyone and anything. Any class, color, faith, orientation, religion, anyone who has any need that you can meet. So when should we love our neighbors then? Many of us are willing to help people when the situation they've got themselves in is not their fault. You know what I mean? We have mercy on those who are victims, But if somebody has made a series of bad decisions or bad choices and gotten themselves in a bad situation, I know at least I am much less likely to be merciful towards them. But what Jesus is teaching us in this story is that we don't get to decide when to be a neighbor to someone. We don't get to dictate which set of circumstances qualifies us as their neighbor. Because the man who gets beat up in this story was foolish to be traveling where he was. The road that he was walking is a road that he shouldn't have been walking. It was dangerous. It was a bad decision, a bad life choice that he made. And so in many ways, this isn't a crazy mugging story. This is like, of course that's what happened to you. You should not have been in that neighborhood. And so, the clarifying point in the story is that the command to love our neighbors as we love ourselves is do I only take care of my needs when things get really bad or when it wasn't my fault? When I don't deserve it? No, I meet my needs no matter what. And so, I don't get to choose when to love my neighbors. And finally, how much should we love our neighbor? So we would have to say, if my neighbor is anyone who has a need I can meet, and no matter how they got in that place of neediness, Jesus invites me or asks me, commands me to love them, to meet their needs, well, how much should I love them? And we would have to say, man, the world is so full of needy people. Like, everywhere I look, I see people who have needs that I can meet. And if I were to try to love Everybody, the way Christ has loved me, if I'm trying to love everyone as I love myself, then my whole life would have to change. To which I would say, that is exactly the point of the story. What Jesus is inviting us into is a life that looks very, very different than a self-focused life or an individualistic life. A life of loving our neighbors as we love ourselves is going to change everything. So it's not just going to be a program that we sign up for. It's not going to be volunteering somewhere once a month and saying that we're doing this. But it's a reorientation of our entire life that's going to cost us significantly. Okay, so this is really fun so far. Let's be honest. How well are any of us doing at this? How closely does this describe any of our lives? Can any of us honestly say that this is how we live? And at the end of the story, Jesus says, go and do likewise. (laughs) So um, chances are that when we're faced with a teaching like this from Jesus, That we come up with all these different reasons why he can't really be talking to us. We have all kinds of ways of excusing ourselves from following Jesus into this kind of life. And we've probably heard sermons like this before, maybe on this very same passage, that lead us to this place where we end up just feeling super guilty super bad about ourselves because we're not doing any of this and the truth is not just Christianity but every major religion teaches that we're supposed to care for those in need so pretty much everyone in the world is going around with a sense of guilt that I'm not doing enough to care for the needy people the poor people around me and so pastors love to harp on that note we love to play that card because we know that we can get you every time By exposing your your guilt, your self-centeredness and failure to love your neighbor. Is that what Jesus is doing here? Is he trying to motivate people towards a life of love through guilt? I don't think that's what he's doing. Let me show you why. Jesus could have told the story like this. There's a man an expert in the law, heading down the road, and up ahead in the distance, he sees some robbers beating someone up. And as he gets closer, he sees a priest and a Levite both walk by, but neither of them stop to help the wounded man. When the man finally gets to the guy in the ditch, he sees that he's a Samaritan. And even though Jews shouldn't go anywhere near Samaritans, he does the noble thing and goes and takes care of him. And then Jesus could say, "This is what you want to do. This is what you should do if you want to please God." Yeah, it sounds like the same story, doesn't it? But it's a very different way of telling the story. Because who in the story is Jesus asking this teacher in the law to identify with? He doesn't start. By picturing this Samaritan in the ditch And this good Jewish man Doing a noble loving thing By caring for him But he actually invites This teacher in law To identify With the man Who's walking down a road He never should have been walking down gets what he had coming to him, finds himself in a place of need and is the recipient of mercy and compassion and love from someone who only owes him rejection. Do you see the difference in the two versions of the story? In one, the teacher of the law and you and I would get to see ourselves as the heroes of the story as the ones who go out of our way and do this noble act of kindness and love. But in Jesus' version of the story, the teacher of the law and you and I are invited to identify with the man in the ditch. And so Jesus isn't trying to get this teacher in the law to feel guilt. He's trying to get him to feel race he's trying to help this guy understand that he is the one who has been shown love and mercy by someone who only owed him rejection and when we see that then this story is going to change our lives because I can I can identify with that character I don't know what it's like To be the guy who loves my neighbor Perfectly as I love myself And love God with everything I've got I know what it is To be the recipient of grace From a God Whose rejection I deserved I know what it's like To make bad decisions To rebel Against God To live in ignorance towards him and to find myself in a place of sin, in a place of brokenness, and to have Jesus come along and rescue me and show me grace and take me upon himself and meet my needs as if they were his own. I think that's what this story is actually about. And at the end, when Jesus asks, who was a neighbor to you? This man isn't even able to say the name of the Samaritan, is he? He just says, the one who had mercy on him. Why? Because he's been humbled into the dirt. He gets it. He knows that he is the guy in the ditch. He's not the hero on the donkey. He's the fool lying on the side of the road. And so before this is a story about how Christians are supposed to live, this is a story about what God has done for us. The gospel says that Jesus came onto onto our road and found us beat up and dying, getting what we deserve, and then he didn't, even though he didn't owe us anything, he took compassion on us. He had mercy on us, and he showed us, his love and so I've actually heard some preachers talk about that we should get involved in the lives of the poor both globally locally or whatever we sh- the church needs to get on board with the fight against AIDS or sex trafficking or poverty because if we don't ju- God is going to judge and punish us for not loving our neighbors but here's the thing According to the gospel, God has already judged and punished Jesus for all of our sins, including our failure to love our neighbor. And so if we are going to have our lives reoriented by the love of Christ to go out and give our lives away, to live lives of love in this city, it's not going to be motivated by guilt that we could never sustain, but it's going to be motivated by the grace of God that we who were poor, we who deserve death, and separation from God eternally have been shown grace. We have a God who's gone out of his way to love us and to bring us home to himself. And so we don't love people, we don't serve for the poor or care for the sick out of a need to protect ourselves from the fear of God's judgment, but because God has blessed us already so that we can be a blessing to the world. And so what this does for me is it changes the way that I see those in need. It doesn't mean that every person who asks me for a dollar on the street that I'm going to give it to them. Anytime that we're doing works of compassion, justice, love, mercy, whatever, there's a process of discernment. There's a process of listening to the Holy Spirit and asking, how can I truly love this person the most? So I may not always... Be moved to help everyone who asks, but I am not going to be able to look down on those in need because I am no different than they are. I'm not going to be able to judge them. I'm not certainly going to have any sense of bitterness or anger towards them. But I would see the poor, and it would be like I'm looking in a mirror. Because I'm the fool in the ditch who's been loved by someone who I've made an enemy out of. See how the gospel changes us? Changes the way I see everyone. And so for us here in Bend as Antioch trying to figure out how do we be neighbors to the poor, the needy, the broken, abandoned, abused, addicted, in Bend. What might that look like? In your bulletin, or along with your bulletin this morning, I hope that you got this insert entitled Works of Mercy. And <clears throat> this was something that was put together by Emily Hill and our three Missions and Justice interns here this summer. They did an incredible job researching. Uh, both historically how the church has mobilized herself, how Christians have followed Jesus in living lives of brotherly love or the works of mercy, and then putting together a list of resources of those groups and organizations in our city that are doing a good job of this, okay? And so um, I want you to hold on to this, and you won't have time to look through it right now, but this is something that I hope we will take with us and keep for a long time as we think about, Lord Jesus, how are you calling me to love the least of these in our city? How are you calling me to reorient my life around those who need your love and need your compassion? How would I respond to your love and to your grace in a way that would look like giving my life away? And so we're not just talking about volunteerism and signing up once a month to go help somebody, but we're talking about what are our first steps to even get involved? How would, we, how would we even come to know what the issues are that people are facing in our city and how Jesus might ask us to show up? I want to show you a quick video by uh, some peop- about some people in our city who are working really hard to love uh, several categories of those who are in need.
1: My name is Gloria Hall and I work with Shepherd's House. They have a men's program, but now we're working to get a women's program, women and children. I don't know if you know, but the latest count for homeless people in this area, in fact, all Central Oregon, the three counties, is 2,000, over 2,000 homeless people. And half of those almost, like 900 and something, our children under 18 years old. I don't think we realize how many kids are out there. The program that we have, uh, that I have uh, actually developed over the last 25 years of doing this, is um, first they come into a basic services, then they can stay for a year if they want, and then there's another year of transitional. So it gives them plenty of time to reach that point of change and feeling secure in who they are now, in Christ. The people that uh, stay for a year In Seattle, where I was for years, we had 92% of the women that were still clean and sober and in their housing two years out, and that's a fantastic statistic, and I think that we'll have that here. Our goal is to build a safe, healing community where lives are touched, healed, transformed by the power of Jesus Christ, and we need your help to be able to do that. This quote is from Mother Teresa, What I do, you cannot do, but what you do, I cannot do. The needs are great and none of us, including me, ever do great things, but we can all do small things with great love and together we can do something so wonderful. If you would like to find out more ways that you could get involved, I would love for you to go out there and find our table in the Commons. I have people to talk to you and they are anxious to see how you'd like to get involved.
0: And so my hope for this morning is to leave us in a place where we are going to be asking Jesus, Lord, how would you have me loving my neighbors in Bend, and specifically those in need, whatever that may look like? And Gloria and the Shepherd's House crew are doing an incredible job of that, but there's a million other ways and some of it will be through some of these organizations and groups on your handout, and some of it will simply be us paying attention to the people that we encounter in our daily lives, our neighbors and our coworkers and the people around us, and beginning to be able to see them through the eyes of Jesus, to begin to see those around us and have the mercy and compassion that Christ has had upon us. I could give you a big long list of ways of how to do this but the truth is as I close I don't think for most of us the reason we don't love the poor is because we don't know how there's a lot of negatives I don't think that's our main problem that we don't know how to love people I think our main problem is that we don't want to we would rather not And so, if you look in the story, as the Samaritan travels, the first thing he does to help this person in need is to get off his donkey. If you want to be a good Samaritan, the first thing you need to do is get off your donkey (laughs) and just go love someone you don't need to have all the answers you don't need to have it all figured out you don't need to have a complete plan of how this is going to work but simply to receive the person in front of you as an opportunity to pass on the love that God has shown us in Christ They are a gift. Father, I'm so thankful that you haven't just told us that you loved us, but you have shown us in the giving of your son. And we acknowledge that it will cost us something to love our neighbors as we love ourselves, but nothing compared to what it cost you to love us. Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters, myself this morning, would you help us to see ourselves as the recipients of your grace and mercy, of your loving kindness and compassion? And as we do, would you cause us to then be able to see those around us in the same way and see our lives full of the potential to display and to declare the good news about who you are and what you've done. That this city may know that Jesus is king. Lord Jesus, let us receive your love this morning. That we may share it with a broken world. For your glory. In Jesus' name we pray.